head into our message. Let's pray. God, thanks for just uh, drawing us here this morning. Thank you for this group that you've gathered. And I pray, God, that you'd speak to us through your word. And as we look at it and try to apply it to our lives, I pray you'd help us to understand it first and then commit ourselves, Lord, to put it into practice. That's where the joy in life is found. That's where, that's what you say you bless is the, the person who not only hears the word, but puts it into practice in our life. So, Lord, help us to be people who do that. We ask you for the ability to, to really hear from you and apply things to specific issues we're facing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of this message series called It's a Fight. And we're talking about the conflict that we are faced with in this life. We, we experience opposition at different levels. We've looked at how we battle against our flesh. That's just the old me, the old you that... that it's the me that lives in me that is still there even after I come to Christ. It's, it's, I still have to battle with my old sinful nature. You do too. If you've decided to follow Christ, you still wrestle with the old, the old you. And that's something you're going to wrestle with all until you, this life is over for you. Um, you, you can actually we, you can grow. There's a tremendous amount of victory we can have, but the flesh won't be the enemy of the flesh, the old man, the old man in me, I should say, it, it's, it's not something that you'll be able to just escape. You can't grow to a certain level of maturity to where you won't have to worry about that. This will always be a struggle. Second, we battle against the world, just the whole culture that we live in, the world that we live in. It, it, there's a strong pull and a current that it's very, very uh, much in opposition to what God says um, our priorities. And so the world pulls us really in, in a direction that leads us away from what God would want. If we step into the culture, we just get sucked along by the world without realizing it. Years go by and all of a sudden our life looks very different than what God would have intended. And so, But the last few weeks we've been looking at the enemy of the devil. Satan is, is a spirit being and we've been looking at how he attacks us in very specific ways. And we've been talking about the fight that we're engaged in. It's a spiritual fight. Um, I, I remember my first fight, the one that I got into, it was in third grade. It was hardly a fight. It was hardly a fight. It all started because of a doll. Um, I was new to the school. My parents moved myself and my sister to a brand new school in third grade. I had no friends at the school. I was the shortest kid in my class. I've always been kind of the shortest kid in whatever class I'm in. But I was this tiny kid, no friends. And there was this pack of girls that I thought were really cute. And they all had these Cabbage Patch Kid dolls. You remember those? Or maybe you've seen those? Cabbage Patch Kids, you know, it was the thing back then. And so they all would strap in their backpacks. During recess, they'd run around and they'd play with these Cabbage Patch Kid dolls. And uh, so I did the unthinkable. I crossed a serious line. <laughs> and I asked my parents, can you buy me a boy Cabbage Patch Kid? And uh, they bought me a boy Cabbage Patch Kid. Here's a picture of one of them from the 80s. And uh, now this is a line you just don't cross, boys. <laughs> Let me tell you, because it resulted in conflict. And so um, here's another pic of a Cabbage Patch Kid today. Maybe if I had bought that guy, it wouldn't have been quite as bad. Because <laughs> there's a big difference, isn't there? But uh, so I, I had the other guy to the left. Took him to school, and it worked like a charm. All of a sudden, I was in. 
<laughs> the girls were like, who's this? And, you know, wanting to play with my doll. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, it's like a magical move. I'm all of a sudden interacting with this group of girls and everything is glorious. And at least that's what I thought. And uh, I'm going to show you another picture here. This is a pic of me and my friend, a couple of my friends. There's me, the little short guy. I don't know if you can see it, but <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. So I... <laughs> So these two girls to the left were two of the girls I thought were really cute. And so I, I uh, you know, was, was friends with them. This guy to my right, his name was Walt. His dad was a pilot. That was his shoe into relationships. His dad flew planes, and he was able to, he actually, like, flew planes at a really early age. And so he was kind of good with the ladies as well. But I, I, I worked my charm with this Cabbage Patch Boy doll. My parents shouldn't have never let me do that. Not everybody felt the same about that. Uh, a rather large guy in the playground during recess at one point, he took my Cabbage Patch doll, and he took it, and he ran off, and I chased after him. And uh, he turned around and stopped, and I approached him, and I realized he was much bigger than me. And he grabbed hold of me, and he said, Boys, don't play with dolls. He picked me up, flipped me over, tucked my head between his legs, and did a pile drive into the ground. And I just... And, and uh, if you've ever seen a pile driver, it's painful you know and it wasn't a fight i had no way to defend myself i didn't fight back i gave in this guy was huge he was a monster within weeks though dean was one of my closest friends you know the guy that pile drived me because that's how guys build friendships we we, we <laughs> isn't it i i've been thinking about it i counted in my life i think i've had five fights including that one that wasn't a fight but i'll count that and five fights most of them were in junior high and in junior high four of the or of the junior hires, uh, three of the four guys, you know, pretty much are all, like, we're Facebook friends now. And so this is just how guys build friendships as we get in scuffles. So, But, you know, it's the conflict we face on a physical realm is, is, is very, very different than the conflict we face in the, in the spiritual realm. We've been asking the question, how do you fight an enemy you can't see? If we have an enemy... The devil, how do you fight against an unseen enemy? That's very, very different. So we've been talking about how to defend against the devil's schemes. His schemes are very different than ours. He has schemes, or the word is, is methods, or it transliterates to methods, methodia. And it's, it's basically he uses different, just different ways of getting at us. And so he wants to ultimately destroy our testimony. If you're a Christ follower, he wants to destroy your ability to um, to make any progress. He wants to paralyze your efforts. For those that have not yet decided to follow Christ, he works to blind the unbelieving world, the Bible teaches. So Satan works to blind or just to really derail and to destroy. He'd actually like to, to, to remain undetected for the most part. His efforts, if he can, he would, you know, most of the battle is an invisible battle. And so the question again is, how do we recognize what he's doing? The reason... We even know it's there because we get into the Scripture and we can begin to see, oh, I can, I can understand what this conflict I'm facing, where that's rooted in. God hasn't left us defenseless, so we've been looking at the spiritual armor that the Bible says God has given to defend against His attacks. The goal in all of the spiritual war that we're in is to stand, to remain standing against the attacks of the enemy. So, so far we've looked at the belt of truth, which is helping us to battle against the, the, the lies or the confusion that the enemy sends our way. He aims to confuse Christ's followers. 
He also, like I said, he blinds the unbelieving world. So we deal with that through the truth of the Word of God. Christ followers, they get into the Bible. They begin to understand what God has to say in the Bible. And that sets a standard for our thinking. It sets a standard for how we see life really working. Our perspective gets shaped by the truth. If we'll decide to follow Christ and then build our lives on God's truth, the belt of truth, when we're confused, that's how we battle. Second, last week we looked at the breastplate of righteousness. It's really, it's this piece of armor, it's Christ's righteousness is the piece of armor we use. It's when we are being accused because of things we've done, we start hearing accusations like, how could you do that? How would you do that? You could never be one of God's children. You could never be used by God. We start getting all of this accusation because of our sin. The way we battle against that is to admit our sin. And again, just to say, you know, you're right. I stand before God right because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross that paid for the forgiveness of my sins. It's Christ's righteousness that helps us deal with the accusations that we battle whenever we sin. So today what we're going to learn about is how God has helped us to defend against Another scheme, the scheme is division. And the enemy, he tries to divide relationships. He tries to split marriages. He tries to um, split churches. He tries to divide your most encouraging and maybe God-honoring relationships and friendships. He wants to just divide those things. He wants to to set in motion um, problems that would ruin the unity that we can experience. So look at verse 14 and 15. Just to review again. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And then the next piece of armor. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Why do we need shoes of the gospel of peace? Shoes in battle were shoes that protected the foot and also the lower leg. Without shoes, the soldier couldn't move quickly forward. They couldn't march onward. Um, if you, you know, you can't imagine being in, in an army or being a soldier and just forgetting your shoes. Could you, you wouldn't do that. You'd step on traps. You'd step on, uh, maybe there would just be obstacles that were placed there by the enemy, but you just wouldn't imagine running into battle without shoes on. And so he talks, Paul says, put on the, the shoes that are made ready by the gospel of peace. What these shoes do is they help, they help us against conflict. They help us against Division, rifts that prevent us from moving forward. The enemy, what he wants to do is, through conflict, he wants to paralyze us and stop us in our tracks by causing us to fight not against him, but against one another. This is his aim in this scheme. He wants us to get our eyes off of the the spiritual war that we're engaged in against him and the demonic world and focus just on turning against each other, bickering with each other, and, and he just lets that go. No longer, you know, we can create our own messes. So God, what He does, He gives us the shoes that can maneuver us around what would be slippery situations, specifically against conflict. In fact, and this is in your listening guide, Satan is continually laying traps of conflict and division. He continually does this in our life. He especially loves to do this within the church. He loves to do it within the church, and He loves to do it through its members. He wants to sow discord into the church body. James says that what we have to do is we have to look carefully at people's lives because some are just carrying out the work of the enemy in order to divide. And so there's certain there's a profile that we read in James chapter 3. Take a look at James 3 verse 13 through 18. It says, 
Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done with humility, or done in the humility that comes from wisdom. See, this is within the church, and this is the mark of real wisdom, is a person who has true wisdom from God, heavenly wisdom, is, has, their life has the mark of humility. They lower themselves, in a sense, they let others go first, they don't exalt themselves. That's a mark of, of true wisdom. And then it goes on and it says, verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy, now if you recognize any of these characteristics, for good or for bad, you might want to circle like the ones that you, you think, okay, I'm growing in this area, I, I see this stuff being produced, or uh-oh, this is a danger zone. I'd encourage you to, to, to circle things that you think you identify with. If you harbor bitter envy, that's just jealousy. Maybe over position, maybe over leadership. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, selfish ambition is serving for another motive, giving for another motive. Maybe, especially when it comes to serving and giving, our motives can get mixed, and so if it's selfish, if there's an ambition behind it, there's something about how it's going to build us up or how we're going to benefit from it rather than for the mission or the cause. It says, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Verse 15, it says, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual. It's of the devil. See, patterns of envy and strife are clear indicators that someone's so-called wisdom is not from above, but it's from the world and it's empowered by the enemy. So, James says you need to detect this. You need to be aware. This stuff can seep into the in in among amongst us very easily. Verse 16: For where you have envy and selfish ambition, whenever you find those things, there you're going to find disorder and every evil practice. And that's true. Whenever jealousy starts erupting amongst groups, teams, whatever it is, the workplace. You know, even in, in our home, whenever this stuff crops up, all sorts of things, disorder, chaos, everything just starts falling apart, doesn't it? And then he says that's the profile of when the enemy's involved, that's, that's kind of a demonic strategy that he uses to divide. That's what he's trying to do. Create an unstable, disorderly ground. The word disorder has to do with instability. Verse 17 says this, But the wisdom that comes from heaven, this is very different. Here's the marks of godly wisdom in people. First of all, it's pure, meaning it's, it's set apart. It looks different than the world. So it's pure, then it's peace-loving, as opposed to conflict or catty or reactive. It's, it's, it, it has a measure of peace. Certain people that just, they, where they go, it's like peace follows them. Or there's conflict, they walk into a situation and they're peacemakers. They just can settle things down. They can neutralize conflict. There's certain people that are the opposite. They're like what? We call them like gasoline. Like they step into conflict. It's boom. It just like gets worse. You know? But other people, they, they kind of come in and it's like they extinguish the conflict, don't they? They're peace loving. Consider it. Consider it as we make allowances for others. Another thing he says, they're submissive. Submissive has the idea of being easily persuaded. When change happens and someone says, hey, we need to make a change here. We're going to it's the leader, he says, hey, we need to do this, and everyone's like, there's some people that are submissive. They're easily persuaded. They get on board. They're what we would call an early adopter. They adopt the idea early, and they move to change. That's a business kind of idea. But, but then there's always the late adopters. They're like, well, but, well, but have you thought of, and, and, and you haven't thought of, and uh, I don't want to do that. And so they get drug along by the organization. 
you know, they, they'll usually go with it unless they get, you know, fired from the company or removed from the, the group. But there's that opposite rather than submissive. But a heavenly strategy, godly mark, is submissive. Then he says, full of mercy. You know, are we full of mercy towards others? And good fruit, that's in opposition to the verse 16. It talks about every evil practice surrounding those other things. Impartial, as opposed to playing favorites, or sincere. Not hypocritical is the idea. Then he says this, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The person with true wisdom, they, they just bring peace into the situation. They, they walk into a group, into a room, and they can kind of, they can bring, they can settle down the conflict. We want that. We want that in groups. We want that in team. We want that to spread. Peacemakers, they sow in peace, or who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. It's kind of like, as, as we, that kind of person is in groups, they're also sowing peace, and so it's rubbing off on other people. There's, that's good for the whole group. But the, the opposite of that whole profile is this demonic, earthly strategy. And when that stuff takes root in a church, in a home, things start falling apart. If an army is unstable or is in chaos, they can't fight. They fight against each other. They make no progress. If, if a marriage is in disorder, again, we make no we accomplish nothing in our homes for what God would intend if we're just constantly butting heads until we get that straightened out, until we get on the same team. You know, the, the kids are impacted, the generational impact of this kind of thing. If there's disorder in church, we don't accomplish our mission. We can't move forward until we deal with conflict that has broken out. But this passage, what it does, it clues us in on how to defend against conflict and division. We can't allow selfish and bitterness to just divide us. Because if we do, again, things fall apart. God, He wants healthy relationships for all of us. He wants our health. If you're married, He wants your marriage to be healthy. And you have to work at that. And it's not easy, is it? For those of you who are married, it's not easy. You would think it would be easy. You know, you get married and you're just, this is great. And then not long after you realize, well, they're not, they're blocking my goal. I wanted to do this today and they want to do that. And now it's on. World War, what, you know, World War III. And th- this stuff just erupts. And at the heart of it, we think, oh, it's just me and them. I'm just mad at them. Well, behind all of this, the enemy is working his scheme to divide. He wants to divide your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He, he really, that's his goal in all of this. So we cannot allow that stuff, this stuff, to just reside. We have to learn to deal with it. Another thing is we need to learn how to avoid the traps of unresolved anger. Usually, this is where it starts. The pitfalls of unresolved anger. Whenever we're angry at someone, it just seems like a small thing, like a pebble in our shoe. You're on a hike, you get a pebble in your shoe, and you're like, oh, it's not a big deal. That's how we deal with anger sometimes. Oh, it's not a big deal. And then it gets bigger and bigger, and finally it's like we're angry. We got The only way you can deal with it is to unlace the shoe and shake all the rocks out of your shoe, and you, we have to deal with things. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. The word foothold is, is directly translated place or room. So the idea is whenever we deal with our anger or our emotions, we're not giving the enemy any room to 
work further conflict into our lives. We deal with it. And, you know, this is not easy because we all face conflict often. We, we don't need to give the, the devil place where conflict can continue to just grow and produce more problems and more problems. Let's, let's get practical as far as how do the shoes, what do those mean or how do those... So how to use the gospel of peace. Peace is the opposite of conflict. So the enemy, he works to divide. The opposite of that is peace. So as he stirs up conflict within groups of people or even against God, we've been given the good news, the good news of the gospel. And the good news is covered in peace. So first, be ready to explain God's forgiveness. It's kind of like lacing up our shoes in the morning. We need to decide in every day we need to be ready to share the good news at a moment's notice. We need to share the gospel at any moment's notice. That actually helps us when conflict is erupting. I've seen people apply this piece of armor at different times to, to really settle down something that was about to get really bad when it comes to division. Um, a friend of mine, uh, he was on a trip. He was on an airplane. There was an attractive lady sitting beside him. She started flirting with him. And he he recognized this was not going good. And as she was flirting with him, he's trying to you know, make it know that he's married and didn't seem to phase the lady. She kept flirting with him. And they get off the plane and they're in the airport and she invites him back to her hotel. And he just, you know, at that moment, you got to figure out what are you going to do? Well, he decided this verse, the gospel, you know, shoes made ready, the gospel, fitted with the gospel of peace, he shared the gospel. <laughs> he shared the gospel. He started telling her about what Jesus had done, and, and, you know, she wasn't interested, and she turned and left. But, you know, that was potentially um, division just being set up for him, for his family, wasn't it? That opportunity would have divided all sorts of things. The repercussions of that, costly. His, his very influential guy, that would have been costly to very all sorts of people. I've seen my father use this piece of armor often in conflict in a different way, but I've seen when fights are about to break out or when something bad's about to happen, I've seen him kind of move into the situation, start sharing the gospel with people, and it settles the situation down. Not, not always that the person's like, tell me more, but uh, one time I, I was in this relationship with this girl. Her dad didn't like me. They got in a fight, her father and her. She came to my house, and I was there. My family was there. She came there. She was crying. And then not long, not long after, I see her father's truck peel around the corner, park in our driveway, and I'm like, uh-oh. And he comes out, and he's shouting my name. And my dad bolts out the door. Thank goodness for My dad's he's a little guy. This is a, a big man. He gets up in his face, and he just calls him by name, and he just says, man, your family's a mess. And he starts sharing the gospel with him. He says, I really want to share with you what is missing. And the guy put his head down. He said, I know, I know. Got back in his truck and drove away. My dad built a relationship with that guy over over several years. And uh, he's been able to minister to that family through different tragedies and things that they've faced. But again, conflict's about to erupt. You know, sharing the gospel is one way that God says we can deal with conflict that's erupting. What do you do when conflict is you know, when you can tell this situation is, it's hot, it's about to explode, what role do you play? Are you gasoline? Are you, are you instead, you know, coming in with the fire hose and you're putting it out? 
Or do you, do you rush in to watch? You know, sometimes, just like in high school, where a fight breaks out, at least this is how it was at my high school, fight breaks out, everyone's like, fight, fight, fight! Swarm of people, we surround, and everyone's just watching these guys beat each other until they're senseless. And, or, or, or like a fight breaks out on a baseball field. You know, batter rushes the mound. Well, what happens? Bench is clear and everyone gets into a brawl. A lot of people are excited to fight and some are trying to peel guys off and settle the situation down. What role do you play? When conflict is erupting, what role do you play? Conflict is always an opportunity to explain God's forgiveness. It's always an opportunity to introduce the gospel. It may not be for evangelism, maybe just a reminder. Like, look at what God has done and it can settle down a relationship. Look at what John Piper, an author and pastor, wrote about this. He said, The good news of peace is that when Christ died and shed his blood for sin, two kinds of enmity were overcome. The enmity between God and repentant sinners was brought to an end. You see, we're able to have peace with God, mankind and God. This That gap can be bridged. And then second, he says, the enmity between races and factions in Christ was brought to an end. All the divisions that happen on a human front, that stuff came to an end. So Christ became our peace. That is, he says, the gospel of peace. You see, the only reason we can become right with God is because of what Jesus has done. Ephesians two fourteen through 18 reads this in the New Living. It says, For Christ himself has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one people. He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us Jews and Gentiles. Huge dividing line. Culturally, just in, in all ways, there's this huge division. And so Paul's saying, look, Jesus Christ has brought these two groups together. By his death, he ended the whole system of Jewish law that excluded the Gentiles. His purpose was to make between peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new person from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He has brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and to us Jews who are near. He's, he's calling people to get along. He's calling people to, to start working together to see what they have in common. At the end, he just says, Now all of us, both Jews and Gentiles, may come to the Father. We can all go to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. That's the best news. We can have peace with God, the Father, because of Jesus. And also we can have peace with those on a human level who we may easily be opposed to and enemies. Peace is something that we long for. Look, listen to this song. John Lennon, he sang about peace. You've heard this song. We're going to play it for you. But listen to the path that he says will find peace. And you ask yourself, do I really agree with that? We've most, most of us have probably hummed this song and sang this song because it's just got a catchy tune. But, but listen to what he's saying is the path to peace. And you ask yourself, is that true? Imagine there's no heaven.
out of the equation, we'll just get along. We should all, it's all the stuff we've added in that's created the conflict, he's trying to say. And so if we'll just strip things down and take God out, take religion out, take, then we'll all just get along. You know, that sounds really good, doesn't it? But I'm a dad and I have kids and I know that's not true. <laughs> because at a very young age, somehow, my innocent little child's children, they know how to fight. They know how to to stir up conflict. They know how to fight back. They know before God comes in the picture in their life in a, in a personal sense, there, there's not peace. We're not singing, imagine all the people. Instead, it's, hey, 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 hey. You know, oh, it's, it's, it's learning to train. And because left to ourselves, we have a heart that leads us in the wrong direction. It's not just my kids. You're like, oh, it's his kids. Not my kids. If you go way back, the first family, what happened to their two sons? Older kills the younger. Over what? You remember? Jealousy, envy, bitter envy. And God told him, hey, he said, hey, why are you so angry, Cain? Hold on, hold on, deal with that anger. It's going to get the best of you. Don't let it control you. You must master it. Cain ignores him, kills his brother out of jealousy. This is the first family. Like it had, they, had, they didn't have TV, internet. They didn't have all the conflict. They didn't, have, they didn't have MMA fighting on TV. They didn't have all the stuff that may you think, oh, it's so bad today. No, it's bad in the human heart. It's the problem, and so that's where the problem really lies. I want to encourage you: when conflict is erupting, look for ways to introduce God's forgiveness. The last thing there is be ready to extend God's forgiveness. There's a passage there you can read. For yourselves later. Whenever conflict breaks out, what I would say is be the first to extend forgiveness quickly. I know it's hard. In fact, don't you just hate being the one who has to call the truce? Don't you just hate being the one who has to, to humble yourself and think, what have I done? We never like to be the one who does that. We always want to be approached by the person who did us wrong. We never like to be the one to... to to search our own minds and think through, what did I do? How did I cause problems here? What I would encourage you to do is the gospel of peace, it helps us to just extend God's forgiveness when conflict is erupting on an interpersonal level. In the New Testament, that's what that passage is about. It talks about a a person who was being received back into the church after the church had to remove this person because of of a pattern of immorality in their life. But then the guy repented and Paul was saying, hey, take this guy back into the fellowship. Paul was saying, he... He needs to be received back in and be loved and cared for and, and able to really grow up in the body. Because back in those days, the church there wasn't a church on every corner like there is here. So if you have conflict in one church, well, you know, heck with them. I'm going to just go to the next place. And, and then conflict breaks up there. And then, well, it's their problem too when we go to the next. There's plenty of churches. You can have hundreds of conflicts in Riverside. You can always find a happy church to go to. I mean, but sadly, that's not what God wants. He wants us to reconcile, not split 
and leave when there's conflict. Oh, they didn't. They they didn't. They didn't see things my way. Well, well. Work towards extending forgiveness. Work towards reconciliation. In in the New Testament, people just didn't have the freedom to do that. There was a local church in a town, and so it was. Hey, I need to band with this group of people. We work through conflict because this is us. This is we're banded together, and so we we have a very different picture here in this in this day and age. In that verse, in that last verse, there's a phrase in here at the very bottom. It says verse 11. He says, you know, forgive this man. Verse 11 says, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his schemes. You see, behind all the conflict, Satan is working to divide. And so, again, let's not let him do that. Let's let's choose a different course of action as a congregation. Be a group of people who work towards reconciliation, towards unity, towards peace. I'm going to ask the band to come up and the ushers to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And take out this connection card on the back, flip it over, you see these next steps. You might have a different next step. You might want to jot down for yourself and your notes. But here's a few I wanted to suggest, considering memorize Colossians 3.13. You'll have to look that up. It's not in the listening guide, but that's a great verse on forgiveness. Second one is start praying for your opponents. Rather than plotting against your opponents and praying for their downfall, praying for them, praying for peace, praying for reconciliation, praying for people that you might think, this person is an opponent of mine. They're an enemy. We don't get along. Start pray for them. Ask God to soften your hearts towards them. Make a move towards peace in a conflict I'm facing. Be the person to take the first step. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this stuff is hard because all of us struggle with selfish ambition. Envy, jealousy. You know, we, we just struggle, God, with these things. And it's not just that we learned them yesterday. God, we've been battling with selfishness and arrogance and harm towards others. You know, since the moment we, we breathed our first breath. And now, God, we're just, as, a, you know, as, as people trying to walk with you, it's really difficult because these things crop up. And then the enemy gets involved and he uses them to paralyze us in our homes, in our marriages, in our church. God, we pray for peace. Lord, would you spread peace among the body of our church here? Lord, convict us of any relationships that we need to take initiative to straighten out. Lord, help us to see our sin. Help us not to just have this giant view of what other people have done to hurt us, but Lord, Lord, help us to look in the mirror and see what we need to deal with. And then help us to deal with those things. Lord, give us the courage to apply this to our lives and to not just minimize conflict, Lord, but we just give you the freedom to to keep challenging this area until we yield to you. We pray for that. Lord, I pray you'd bless this offering as we receive this morning's offering. Would you use it, God, to further the work that we're doing as a congregation, Lord? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.